Welcome to the Fear Soul Podcast. I'm Jordan Ray, the Soul Diva, and I'm on a mission for women to love themselves fiercely, live soulfully, transform their trauma and toxic experiences, to reclaim their worth and self-expression. I chat with thought leaders and inspirational women in free-flowing conversations, with a focus on loving yourself, soulful living, emotional well-being, creative expression, and body wisdom, intended to empower you to practice self-love and guide you to your authentic self-expression. Welcome back. And this week I am joined by the fabulous Tina Eloise. She's an inner wealth witch and works with the embodiment, expression and empowerment of the feminine. Tina, over to you to explain all of those wonderful words. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Jordan. I'm really stoked to be on this podcast with you and to be talking all the things that we're going to be talking about today. Um, and so, yeah, so as Jordan said, um, I work with feminine empowerment, expression and um, embodiment. And what that means is helping women reclaim parts themselves that they have shunned that they have silenced that they have um shamed in order to be loved and accepted throughout their lives which is a lot to do with conditioning and helping that helping them release that and turn that into fuel of their sexual creative and professional pr expression so they can start creating the life that they truly desire and show up show up more boldly and unapologetically and wildly unbridled and just making money the way that they truly want to fucking make money there goes the first swear word <laughs> <laughs> so the permission for the f-bombs has been given and here we go i thought i thought you know what i was like well normally i don't swear when people tell me i can swear and then within two minutes i'm like <laughs> we're there if anybody doesn't like the odd f-bomb then i think either of us <laughs> probably not the right people what i did love in there that you said was clearing the the shame and using all of that as fuel and the word unbridled i mean the freedom from that is mm. just amazing mm. it's all about liberation liberating that woman within right because we're so used to walking around in masks um and all I mean doesn't matter where you're from in society you are conditioned in some way to show up as a certain way as a woman right and I mean the I think the thread of it is to be silenced like don't be too much and know your place and don't be too emotional so I'm really big on expressing those emotions the anger and the rage and pleasure and the eros of it all so you know we hold women hold so much shame around their bodies around their sexuality and their emotions so I I know from for me I was always told that I was too loud I was too much I, I was told I was angry all the time as a child I'm like well yeah because you're not fucking listening to me <laughs> listen someone listen to me so, you know, and I grew up thinking that my voice wasn't, didn't mean anything. So, and also I've got a voice that projects anyway. So people often think that I'm shouting when I'm not. So I've just got this voice that projects. So obviously yeah. I was created to be heard. I was, I wouldn't have the voice that I've got. <laughs> I didn't find that out until later down the line, obviously. 
actually I was so much the opposite not in terms of the emotions in terms of the voice I mean people think I'm quiet now they should have seen me 20 years ago <laughs> mm. um because I really did have a quiet voice the phone was chiming in there yeah no I didn't understand that <laughs> Do you want to speak a bit louder <laughs> so I had this quiet voice but like you were saying as well I was always told I was emotional. It was, if I was upset, it's what are you crying for? Mm. If I felt angry, it was don't, basically don't get angry. And actually Mm. in my twenties, I was so angry. Mm. And I've spoken about before on on other podcasts that I was so lucky. Actually, part of the thing that helped me was I got into security work. By doing that, I also connected with guys that boxed and kickboxed. And that's how I found a way to actually release so much of the anger whether it was on the punch bag or whether it was on some poor person being thrown out (laughs) Um, so sorry to all those guys I headlocked and threw threw out fire exits but I know that obviously you work with women you've already started to talk about the anger and you work with women to be able to express that anger in a different way yeah rage our rage is you know I mean if it's if it's unhealed trauma then it can be quite destructive in our lives for me, I used to lash out. I'd go into blind fury, um, especially if I'd had a drink. If someone come into my space, threatened me in any way, that was it. it. I would flip and I'd hurt people, which I'm not proud of. You know, I'd lash out and I'd actually should get them away from me. Um, and then I'd, I'd come to and I'd be so remorseful. They've obviously hit me as well. <laughs> it's not like me just pounding someone for the sake of pounding them. But I'd be so remorseful because I didn't know where it came from. But I had so much rage in me because I was never heard as a child. Um, and I just felt threatened. So I'd lash out. And then the other side of that is that I used to suppress it as well. Like I would drink and take drugs and all that kind of stuff. And then going on this journey of healing... In an, I just put my whole life in a nutshell there. <laughs> the whole bloody, my whole 45 years in a nutshell. But going on this journey for the last 10 years of healing, um, I got to a stage where I could still feel that anger within me because I stopped the drinking, I stopped taking drugs and all that kind of stuff. But I still had this rage and I was like, how am I going to get rid of it? How am I going to get rid of this rage? And then the one day I was sat at my mum's, I was living back at my mum's at the time which is where a lot of the abuse happened as a child. And my mum wasn't the best mum in my younger years uh, due to alcoholism. And I was just sat in the room and I'm like, I've got all this rage. So I was just like, I need to get it out of me. So I started journaling and I was saying all these nasty things to my mother on this sheet of paper, calling her all the names under the sun. And I was like, feel the anger. I'm like, how am I going to let this out of me? And then I just got a pillow and just screamed into it and just started bashing this pillow like, ah, just letting it all out of my system and then there I felt like I was my teenage self again like I wasn't an angst and I was just letting it all out and then I was just like what do I need to do now and it was just like, I need to move my body so I put on some music that I used to listen to as a teenager because that was when I, all the anger started in my teenage years. And I just started dancing around the room and letting it all move out of my body. And then I come back to wholeness again with some breath work and all that. And that was the first time I learned how to process my rage in a more empowering, controlled manner, in a more positive manner. Um, and then that turned into purpose and passion. And the more that I kind of dived into it, I realized that, rage your rage is on the same spectrum as what your passion's on you can't feel passion and joy and euphoria and all those kind of 
and higher vibrational, like what they say, higher frequency emotions, if you don't allow yourself to feel the heavier ones, because that's where your gold is, right? And when I uncovered all of that rage, when I started working through all of that rage, I found guilt, sorrow. The rage was just covering up the sorrow of the life that I, the childhood I never had, the mother and the father that I never had, and that I truly wanted. And I shamed myself for that, because obviously there's stuff in there to unpack, because I felt that I wasn't good enough to love because they didn't love me oh well I thought they didn't love me I realized down the line that they love me in their own fucked up way in some way do you know what I mean but yeah and once you start working with your rage it then turns into a sacred rage and you can use that for like you can turn it into passion for anything that you're putting out in the world like it can be activism or creating change or your purpose work in some way you know it can really be the fuel to ignite huge transformations not only in your own life but also in the life of others and on this and in the planet and social change and all that kind of stuff as well so it can be when used healthily your rage as I said can be a huge motivator and propel you forward I absolutely love that and it brought to mind for me when I was working with young people and quite often in the crisis assessments how many of them would come with anger Mm. and that would be one of the things on their plan that this wasn't just a go and breathe meditate and move it was find a way to be able to express this because you've got to get it moving through your body and out your body before you can do the rest of this Mm. and so it was finding creative ways of being able to do that and I remember one suggestion from a parent. They were like, well, we've got crockery in the back garden and we've got a baseball bat. I was like, fabulous. I can't recommend that for health and safety purposes. But Mm -hmm. amazing. Mm. And also being able to start the conversations with the teenagers. Because as you said, and the same for me, my anger started in my teenage years. Mm. And I didn't know what to do with it. So being given that permission. Yeah. Makes such a difference. Yeah. But that's the thing. There's so much shame around anger as well. Also, women are not meant to feel hang- angry. It's meant to be a man, a man's thing, you know, and there's, there's the men out there now are angry. <laughs> you know, there's just like the women are, but they're more of an overt angry because they're not getting heard and seen in, in a way either. Do you know what I mean? So, um, and with you, when you're a teenager, you've got all the hormones going on in the world. And I believe once you get to be a certain age as a teenager, the damage is already done. Like if you've had like quite a, the damage is already done in those first seven years, then leading up to you like your teenage, the damage is done. So if you work for, as a teenager on through the rest of your life, trying to undo what the first 11 years have done to you. Do you know what I mean? Trying to navigate the world or the beliefs and the systems that you've had been put into your mind from those younger years. And as a teenager, I felt the least loved. So that's like one of the questions that I ask my clients sometimes when they come to me and they're not sure what's going on with them or whatever. And I'm just like, well, at what age did you feel the least love? Because you become angry at the world then because you feel like no one loves you or, you know, you start seeing the world and it although it's quite a small world you, you're with your peers you see the, you see the bigger landscape when you're a teenager because you're before going out into the world and you know making a career and all that kind of stuff it's a different kind of landscape than when you're in that family unit um so that question I often ask my clients and the surprising thing is you know I have clients that are like oh no I came from an amazing kind of childhood you know, mummy and daddy were amazing. I was daddy's little girl. And I was just like, 
that's fine. You're not, there's no guilt in saying that you didn't feel loved at some point because there's guilt there, isn't there? You don't want to, you don't want to piss off mum and dad, no matter how horrible they were. You feel that guilt of working through these horrible emotions and having them towards people that you love. Um, so you don't want to admit it to yourself that you might have these emotions about them. So there was one client and she was like, oh no. And I was like, it's not, it's, it's all right. You can say it. And she was just like, um, okay, well the first, I goes, the first thing that comes to your mind. And it was her bringing home a picture of a dog when she was a kid and her mum, dad and brothers were in the kitchen. She's running the door. Oh, can you put this on the fridge? And her mum's like, yeah, all right, love. You go upstairs and get your coat off or whatever. And as she was walking upstairs, she heard her mum go, that is not going on my fridge. And her dad turn around and say it looks like a penis <laughs> she'd done a pink dog and she said oh in fair in all fairness it looked like a penis <laughs> she goes when I look back at it now she goes but yeah I decided then that I was she goes I decided then that dad did, didn't love me if I was to show him or ask him for anything and this affected her business as well because she wouldn't show up she wouldn't ask men like she was in a bit of a turmoil in her business and she had all these invoices that needed to be paid from others, right? So she had all this outstanding money that was owed to her. And we discovered that she didn't like being forceful with men, like male clients, to ask them for the cash. Yeah. And it was all stemming from that moment, way back in her childhood that she'd forgotten about. And so we went through a motion. I was just like, what would you like to say to your dad now? She's like, oh, no, I don't, you know, she goes, me and, me and my dad are fine. And we were, you know, she goes, he was always there for me. My dad was amazing. Like, I was his little girl. She had big brothers and, you know, that kind of environment she brought up, she was brought up in. And mum was, we had a part-time job and she'd done all the housework and cooked dinner and like real family kind of thing, you know. And I was like, no, what do you want to say to your dad? What would that little girl really want to go down there and say to him? And she was like, and she, it wasn't the rage that, you know, I go through with a sacred scream but it was rage where she stamped her feet she was like listen dad so that's like the voices of power and allowing yourself to say the things that you needed to say back then and be the advocate for yourself that you needed back then to tell your parents that they were wrong in allowing to what happened happened although their parents were just didn't know that she was in the room or even heard it they done damage to her that leaded to you know her business nearly going down the toilet later in life and that bit about being an advocate for yourself because that's such a significant piece of work I know with my clients we do when we're doing that inner child and history work mm. it is that being able to go back and say what you wanted to say and hear what you were not even wanted needed to hear mm. all of that work is so pivotal mm. in being able to shift and like you said with the business the impacts that something as in a lot of ways insignificant yeah. as a flippant comment about a picture however old she was could, seven eight years of age yeah, can have all those years later and I have heard it I've heard it from other people where they say exactly what your client was saying but I had a nice childhood there wasn't anything and then there just might have been one throwaway comment whether it was parents or teacher mm -hmm. around that six seven it was a throwaway comment and somehow that has just rippled Land. yeah yeah because up to that moment, she'd always felt really loved by her. He was, she was daddy's little girl, you know, and her brothers always protected and she felt unsafe to be herself. 
in that moment by that comment. Just it's just amazing. And that's the, like, that was one of the client journeys that blew my mind. I was just like, look how easy it is to fuck your kids up. <laughs> you, know what I mean? you don't need to go through a really shitty childhood for um stuff to matter. And you know, she kept putting up with really bad behavior from men all through her life because of that one comment. She either put up a really bad behaviour or she had ridiculously high standards that she held them to because of her dad, because of the way her dad was with her mum and all that kind of stuff. So it was never an in-between, but she always felt like she didn't have a voice to... She didn't let them in or she let them in and let them take the piss. So, you know, so not only did we help with her business, it also helped her show up differently in her relationship and put some boundaries in place, which really changed her relationship as well. So this is one of my star stories. <laughs> it's such an amazing example of, I don't particularly like the big T, little T for trauma, yeah. but it's probably an easy way of understanding it. Yeah. It doesn't have to be those big T traumas. It doesn't have to be abuse. It doesn't have to mm. be violence. Actually, those small, potentially, we would look back and go insignificant. Yeah can have the ripple effects and the after effects just as much as those big I was going to say it depends how it affects us it's not about the actual incident or incidents it's how it affects us and I think the whole thing of talking about trauma and so with that there's anger and rage Mm. and how it's dealt with and so many therapists have been talking therapists so we haven't been dealing with the embodiment we haven't been dealing with how that emotion affects you in your body and how it affects you in showing up every day Mm. well it affects every area of your life doesn't it and there was something I was going to say there about we were talking about you know what you say to them and you're expressing what you you, expressing what you needed to hear and what you said by doing that you're helping yourself being expressed right because by not saying the things that you needed to say or not having the advocacy that you needed as a child and being reliant on familial support to survive we suppress our words so by doing this work and facing your anger and allowing yourself to say the words that you need to you need to say even though you love your parents or whatever it might be you become more fiercely expressed. Do you know what I mean? You, you just take away the shame or the fear of speaking your truth because ultimately it comes down to the reason that you don't say the things that you needed to say is because there's a fear that you're going to be abandoned. You're not going to be loved. And that's all it comes down to, being loved and not being loved because we all have this inherent fear that we're going to be not loved. Do you know what I mean? We all want to be loved. It's in our, it's, it's in our DNA to want to be loved. Um, and it, when people don't love you, it's not the end of the world. You know what I mean? But you know, this is where you know rejection, sensitivity, and all that kind of stuff, abandonment issues. Oh God, there goes the cat. Uh, <laughs> abandonment issues, and you know, relating styles, and all that kind of stuff comes into it because it's just it's just very loaded, isn't it? There's just so much from going back to what you were saying just one little instant can change the trajectory of your life and how you feel about yourself and how you relate in the world. Talking about being able to have a voice, say what we needed to say and actually being able to work on that Mm. and then the impact it has on us. And I really think when I see people say, you know, I want to work on my relationship or relationships, Mm -hmm. no, work on yourself. Yeah. Like go back, look at yourself because when you start doing that work, you will be able to see how am I interacting? 
how am I relating where are my boundaries and I think the other bit that actually I did want to say was where we're talking about parents we can do this work and still love our parents we can forgive our parents for whatever they did at the time especially when it was where they thought they were doing the best and still love them. We can forgive ourselves for everything that happened afterwards and still love yeah. them. This isn't yeah. about taking that away, but it is about working through the, through the effects of it. Yeah. I mean, I was working through it, especially the mother wound side of it, because I work with like the, the, the core wounds, like mother, sister, witch, bitch, and whore. Um, and the... I was working, I was, I was working through it. Mum was at heart, was at um, work and I'm there raging out, calling her all the CUNTs under the sun and, you know, saying some really horrible things to her um, through the healing process and the expression, the voice of power and all that kind of stuff. And then I'm sitting down having dinner with her. And so the emotions of that was really having to navigate that the way I was feeling about her in that moment in time, in terms of our relationship there and then, and how I also felt about her way back when, when we were kids and where she wasn't there for me and she was complete, complete useless in mothering. It was just like, it was a lot for me to balance and deal with and navigate. But on the back of that, I'm not a big person that subscribes to the train of thought that, oh, you've got to have a conversation with them. And, you know, at the time I was like, I'm not going to hear anything. Mum's going to get defensive. But a very beautiful moment came of it. Like I didn't open up the conversation about my childhood. We were just naturally sat there. We we're having a cup of tea and a bit of cake or something. Something come on the telly and it was at uh, air stewardesses on there. And mum goes, oh, I wanted to be one of them one day. When I was younger, I wanted to be one of them. And I was like, oh, did you? What happened? She relayed a story about my nan going to prison when she was young. And she goes, I was never the same again. Life happens and I was never the same again. And then in that moment, mum's never been that open. She's never spoke about her past when she's been sober. And you could see the weight of it on her. Like, And I was just looked at her and I, it just, something just really shifted in me. And I was just like, that woman was a child when she was bringing me up, even though she was in her twenties, but she was still locked in that moment. Still, still to this day, she's probably still locked in that moment of feeling abandoned and unloved. And like we all are, that's our emotional response, right? So we go back to that moment. We feel least loved if we feel threatened or, you know, our emotional response to anything really. And we go back to those predetermined kind of responses to anything. So whether that's like, if you're going to fawn or fight or fly or whatever it is, and it was so much compassion that filled me that wasn't there before for her. Even though everything that she, what she did was wrong, what she allowed to happen was wrong. It was wrong on all so many levels. In that moment, I was like, I don't need anything from her. Do you know what I mean? There was nothing that I needed from her. And it just gelled our relationship that it is now so much more than it was ever before. Because I was estranged from them for nearly 15 years. Like, I barely saw my mum and my sister. Because uh, I was just like, I need to get away from it. So it was just a beautiful moment. And I didn't need to have to sit down with her and have a big, massive conversation with her about why she fucked me over as a child. Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, I think she knows. <laughs> she was there. She knows. All I'm going to get from her is denial. And she, I have done that because what happened to me as a child? And, you know, it's just going to, she's going to be on the defence. And there's no point of talking to someone. They're not on the same level. If you're healing, you'd say no to bad behaviour. 
but you don't need to go over rehash old shit. Well, to me, I was like, I don't need to rehash old shit with someone that's not on a healing journey. That's not, it's not self-aware. Basically. I don't need to, you know, there's no rhyme or reason as to why it happened. It happened because she couldn't handle life and handle having a child. But I think you have to go certain way down the healing journey to be able to have that realization because there's still anger and people, I think a lot of it comes from, I'm going to talk to her, I'm going to tell her. And I think some people need to go through that and stand up for themselves. But all throughout my life, I never had any drama to telling my mum that she was a shit mum. Like, it wasn't a new thing for me to say to her, do you know what I mean? Like, you're a shit mother. <laughs> Don't know why I have anything to do with you. And then storm out. That that was the kind of child, that was the kind of teenager I was. I was just like, shit. <laughs> I hate you. The problem as well with those conversations is there's an expectation, you were saying it, that they are going to come back and they're going to say everything that you would love them to say exactly in the way you would love them to say it. And when that doesn't come back, actually, rather than that being a healing process, that can add more guilt, more shame, more hurt. Yes. And actually undo depending on how far down your healing journey you are, it can actually undo so much of that work Yeah, because it's that, again, we're back in that, that one scenario, throw away from the person you're trying to heal from. Yeah. Not with. Yeah. I'm all for write letters, write forgiveness letters, write Mm. gratitude letters. If something is, or feels rather that you really want to send it, word it in a way that you're owning everything and then, you're sending it and you're asking for nothing in return. Yeah, yeah. But if you're walking in and have those expectations that you're going to get something back exactly as you need it or hope for, mm. it's really unlikely to happen. Yeah, exactly that. It gives you the wrong... I think a lot of people go in it with the wrong expectations and then they get nothing in return, which is basically you're re-traumatising yourself, the same fucking wounds that you would that you were trying to heal from. Like, you just opened it up again. Like, relying on someone that is not on a healing journey, who's not self-aware, who's basically on the same emotional landscape they were when all this kind of stuff maybe have happened to you and expecting a different result from them is a different reaction. I mean, maybe it happens once in a blue moon, but I think more often than not, it probably doesn't. And as you said, it's re-traumatizing like why would you want to put yourself into that position and give your power away in that way when you've worked so hard to claim it back and one thing that I've learned on this journey is that you have to learn to reparent yourself and build those rock solid foundations of emotional stability so when you do get a trigger you can check in with yourself and wait to respond instead of you know going into that kind of state where you know I used to go into fight that was the whole thing with the anger Um, now when I'm triggered I go into a more fawn response like I kind of want to not fawn what's the other one fight flight flight response freeze no it's flight when I want to run away I want to run away I want to hide it's not for me and when I go into that kind of response I recognize it now even though it's quite subtle, sometimes it's not even a bloody pang in the, you know, when you can feel it in your body. Sometimes it's like, oh, why am I wanting to go run and hide? Sometimes it's just, I've just had enough. I just need to hide away for a little bit. But then sometimes it's like, because I've been triggered by something and I didn't realise because I was so disassociated from my body. And one thing about doing all this work with feeling and all that, it reattaches you to your body and it allows you to bring your, your body keeps score at the end of the day. So allowing yourself to have a relationship with your body. Um, And that's been the biggest reparenting thing for me because 
I realized the things that I felt and thought about my body was exactly the same way that I used to talk and feel about my mum, that it was useless. And that it was one of the layers. Yeah. It's, it's always letting me down. It doesn't support me. And I think we go through a lot of life saying that about our bodies, like fucking headaches. Oh my God, I broke my leg or do you know what I mean? It's not this, the reason your body's all this stuff's happening in your body is because it's screaming out to you to, Look like you did as a teenager. It's just like, look what, listen to me. <laughs> like, and that, that's what happens, you know, when you're sitting on anger and all these kind of heavy emotions and you're not expressing them, it causes disease and disharmony in the body and causes illness and all that kind of stuff and mental health issues and all that. So I think, so I think, yeah. you know, what we were saying about expressing and reparenting ourselves and learning ourselves to express what we need to express maybe to ourselves through letters or, you know, gratitude and all that kind of stuff is, is powerful work. It's huge work. And you reminded me of a couple of things when you were talking. And one was an exercise from Martha Beth, which is writing a letter to your mum, mm. starting it with a dear mum. And then when you finish the letter, crossing out mum and writing your name. Mm. And that's such a powerful exercise to truly start to look at yourself. Yeah. Got because... a heart's work, isn't it? Like the, what is that? In, what is it? Uh, internal fam, family systems. systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. the other bit that you got me thinking about in terms of the embodiment and the, the emotions is somewhere along the line, it feels to me anyway, that we've lost what is normal, for want of a better word, there isn't another one, emotion compared to emotional health needs and their mental health. Mm. And I do feel that sometimes just those normal ups and downs are misinterpreted that actually we can feel down yeah and we can feel down for more than a few hours mm. but that doesn't make us depressed no but it is being used to that wave of emotions that would be expected in yeah. anybody yeah I mean, what goes up must come down. Like, it's physics, isn't it? <laughs> like, <laughs> seriously, you're not going to feel like the euphoria, the joy. Like, sometimes I'm just like, when I was going through my mental health episodes, I'm like, I'm sure I'm bipolar because one minute I'm up there like, ah, manic, quite quite manic. And the next minute I'm down. It was like a thing of polarity. My mum was bipolar. Well, it was called manic depression as well. So I was brought up in that environment where one minute it was just manic and the next minute it was like subdued and she's wanting to kill herself kind of thing. So that was my kind of the emotional scale that I became accustomed to. It was like all out or all in, all out or all in. And then doing this work, I've realized that, as you said, allowing myself, not making myself wrong to be feeling any of these. Like, you know, like society might might be telling me that I need to be out right now. Like maybe if you're going to a job or, you know, showing up online or whatever, you need to be out, you need to be bubbly, you need to be social and all that kind of stuff. And when, you know, and when the times I didn't feel like it, I made myself feel bad about it. Do you know what I mean? When I felt yeah. a bit low or a bit down, I was like, something's wrong with me. I'm fucked up. Or... And then doing this work and getting to know my emotions that were trapped in my body and the emotional scale, because there's a very vast scale. There's like 100 emotions that we can feel. I don't know, 80 or something. And getting to know the emotional scale and working through and expressing my emotions in a very healthy and empowering way 
has closed that gap of the polarity that I used to go through with my own emotions. One minute I was up there and the next minute I was down there and it's kind of closed the gap. And now I've just really kind of, I, I just ride the wave and I've learned how to not attach meaning to them. They are emotions. We're emotional beings. We allow them to wash through. If there's any meaning that's coming from them, then I will know about it, but I'm not making it mean and going on those kind of shame spirals and stories that I like to tell myself about when I'm feeling this way, that means this about me. What am I making it mean? Is that such a huge, powerful question, especially referring back to when you were talking about being triggered. So in that moment of whatever it is that has triggered you, that what am I making it mean? And also when am I? Thanks, Colette Baron Reed, for that amazing question. Because 90% of the time, we're not in this moment when we've yeah. been triggered. It's Back not forward. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I bring pleasure into my work. So, you know, when I go take people through the process, we circle back into a pleasure state. And by pleasure state, I mean in enlightening the five five senses, what you see, feel, hear, and yeah. and taste or you know what you know touching the body and all that kind of stuff because it brings you back into this now moment and into the reality because when you're going through like especially when we're doing the sacred screen process which is the process for rage we've gone through the rage we've connected to the rage and what you're angry at and you're screaming it out screaming it out screaming it out and then we're dropping into guilt maybe bit of guilt bit of sorrow and melancholy or whatever grief or whatever they're sobbing it out sobbing it out sobbing it out and then you know i'm not going to leave people into that bloody state of (laughs) yeah i'm like okay now we can move into pleasure a little bit more and you know and it just helps people know that they are the master of their emotions and that they are allowed to feel these emotions and they're allowed to give themselves space for those emotions but as you said with those emotions, like the heavier ones and the lighter ones or the higher vibrational ones, the ones that everyone wants to feel, they're either in the future or in the past and you need to bring yourself into the now moment. You need to bring yourself now into the now moment to feel those, to feel the joy, to feel the, to the peace and the groundedness and the anchoredness and all that kind of stuff. Because as you said, the lower ones, I've, I've mixed that up there, the ones like grief and sadness and anger and all that kind of anxiety and depression. It's all future past, future past, future past, future past. It's not here right now. And to experience here right now, you have to be in the body. It's all right. You can do mindfulness meditations, but if you're not taking what's going on in this meat suit, then you're missing, you know, you're missing half of the moment because your body's here right now, anchoring you to this earth. So (laughs) take note people but also you were starting to talk about pleasure and I was thinking actually just as much as rage and women being angry is frowned upon I mean there's still a getting to grips with women being angry and we're still not there so is pleasure Mm. women in enjoying themselves and it's not just about being joyful and happy truly feeling pleasure yeah well women's pleasure is second best isn't it we're not here to you know women have been programmed for centuries now that we're here for the pleasure of the man our pleasure didn't come into it what we wanted what our desires didn't come into it a woman's sexuality was shamed demonized and now a woman's sexuality is sexualized you know monetized our bodies have been monetized pornification and shamed upon and deemed disgusting and you know dirty and all those kind of things so we're carrying all that right I remember growing up and it was just like Tina keep your hands 
keep your legs crossed on your mind to yourself. That's what my mum used to say to me. And if I if I my hand went down there, my mum would slap my hand away and go dirty. And I'm just like, that's programming that I had, but it's the programming that she had as well. Doing this, working with pleasure as well, is so opening because it's allowing you to open up and accept your body on levels that you've been told that you can't accept your body because your body has been you've been told that your body actually belongs to someone else. Even the things like dressing. I know conversations I have with my client. Can you get nice underwear that makes you feel good? This is not for your partner. This is not for anybody else. And you might still have to wear a work uniform or whatever it is. Doesn't mean you can't start to make yourself feel good and feel valued. And sexy. I was about to say, and sexy and just start to lift yourself up but not for anybody else yeah yeah this is why women have so much shame around wanting more because we're told that we're it's shameful to want more like we get called whores and sluts and all this kind of stuff if we want more sex or want more pleasure in our lives in a sexual kind of way so it's a real problem in society and you know that's why I do the work that I do and to empower women to say no I want more I want to feel sexy and I don't I want to wear what I want I don't care what you what you say about me do you know what I mean as long as it's coming from a place of empowerment and not a place of validation I need the validation yeah which happens a lot in especially in the online space in the online kind of coaching space there's a lot of people putting shit out there for validation and not from a place of empowerment you know and doing this work connecting with my pleasure doing the rage and connecting with pleasure and my body like through tantric practices and all that kind of stuff I've gone from having the lights off from having sex with people to now showing up online with my lingerie as a big woman I've never dreamed that that would be a case like I was never, oh, maybe if I had a drink, I used to get my boobs out when I was 20. But <laughs> later in the years, it was just, I was covered up in the top like this. I might have a little V-neck on or something, but covered head to toe, no skirts, trousers, top. Because I held so much shame. There was sexual shame, obviously, and body shame and all that kind of stuff. So really important, especially for women to connect with their bodies and their sexuality. When I wanted to feel better about myself, lose weight, get fit, but just really boost myself is when I went for pole dancing lessons. Mm-hmm. I was plus size. I did have hangups about my body, which is why I sought somebody who taught one-to-one so I didn't have to go into a group mm. and so I could, ha- I could be taught privately. And I remember that very first session and having to bend over, look through my legs, and she had huge mirrors along the whole wall. And the thoughts and the feeling, I had to close my eyes. I could not do it. And then session after session, my body changed a little bit, but nothing significant. And by the time I could actually look through <laughs> my legs and see myself from that position and go, you're all right. This mm. is all right. But getting back into my body that way, having, for me, it was putting the weight on and just learning that actually I could feel good in my body in a sensual way just for me not for anybody else yeah yeah exactly that's so you know what you're saying there about you're doing it for yourself and no one else and that's the kind of journey that I've been on for the last 10 years like I used to be quiet man drama and it was just all everything that I was doing it was to get attention from men because that validated my low sense of self-worth I didn't have an attention of a man it meant I wasn't worth anything it went, I wasn't lovable or, you know, I wasn't attractive and all those kind of things. And then when I started on this journey, I've kind of been celibate, really. I went on a tantra journey and a bit like yourself, I first went to um, a mixed one and it, I felt so uncomfortable in there. 
I don't know, there was a couple of predatory energy that I felt. And I was like, I don't feel safe in this space. So I didn't. And this was like seven, eight years ago. So I, I was like, no, it's not for me. Tantra is not for me. It's not for me, not for me. And then I kept getting the message to tap into Tantra, tap into Tantra, tap into Tantra. Because I've always been quite a sexual person. And I was just like, oh, I just, and I wanted to release this sexual shame that was making me stay in really toxic relationships. Whether it was me being the toxic one or them being the toxic one. It did, again, the polarity of it all, as I said, it's all or nothing with me. So I found someone, a lady that was teaching Tantra to women. And she done solo sessions. And I was just like, job done. And I've never looked back since never looked back since and it's been one of the most rewarding and empowering and healing journeys I've ever 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 been on and it was definitely the one that I needed to go on and my I mean obviously I still look in the mirror and I'm like Jesus Christ Tina you need to get on the healthy healthy like lifestyle now because my lifestyle was basically sitting I went from working in pubs for 20 hours a day to sitting at home online and you know you know it's like I'm 45 I've done the menopause I'm just like I just want to sit back and relax kind of thing <laughs> so my lifestyle needs a lot of work like I need to start exercising more and do all that kind of stuff but other than that like when I look in the mirror I don't have because I never used to look in mirrors I would I hate what I saw I'd look at my face but I wouldn't look at my body and then you know I went on the tantra journey and all of a sudden I'm sitting in front of the mirror with my legs crossed or my legs open and just giving myself full body forgiveness and love. And it just, it was for me. And I'm just done it all for myself. I love walking around in underwear. I do little strip teases on myself, you know, slap my own ass, you sexy bitch, you know, things like that. Will I want a relationship in the future? I'm not, I don't know. I don't know if I want someone in my space right now. I'm not, I don't want someone in my space right now. The thought of sharing my space with someone is like, not that I'm saying they're going to move in or anything, but I just mean my space in terms of my mental space and emotional space. But maybe in the future, I don't know. But right now, it's still it's still a journey for me. My point was, is I understand exactly what you're saying about <laughs> the body journey being for you and not for the exhibition or for the validation. Off the back of that as well, my biggest bit of learning, and certainly since coming into the coaching field, has been how more pleasure in every single sense of that word so mm -hmm. we're back to the five senses again can boost your business so just as much as going back and doing all that healing in a child work that having that pleasure and feeling good therefore the way you show up for yourself and the ripple effect for your clients and put yourself out there has a whole different energy to it mm. well you know with, with, with when you're doing pleasure you're allowing yourself to receive on a level that you've never received before. You're putting yourself first. You're in that moment literally practicing foreplay with your reality. Do you know what I mean? Because you're you're really kind of savoring everything in your reality in that moment. That is pleasure. So, and it really taps into like the quantum field, if you want, like, if you think in terms of manifestation, it taps into the quantum field of the emotions and the feelings and all the kind of things that you want to experience when you achieve the outside results because most people want to experience the freedom they want to experience the peace they want to experience the groundedness and the the stability and you get that from experience pleasure however that may look for you it might be walking in the park it might be just sat there it might be having a tub of Ben and Jerry's ice cream binge watching something on Netflix whatever it might be for you take that time or it could be sensuously getting 
getting yourself dressed in the morning, putting on your favourite lipstick really slowly, brushing your hair and gazing in the mirror, whatever that is for you, and just loving that feel, really feeling what the, the bristles of the brush feels like on your head as it comes down and what your hair feels like on your face. Just bringing it in those five-minute moments throughout your day will change your goddamn life. So glad you said it as five-minute moments. And that feels like a really good place to say to you, we've done a lot of talking. <laughs> we've got from literally one end of the emotions to the other. We have, haven't we? <laughs> we have. <laughs> is there anything you haven't said that you would like to share? My thing is you've got to feel to heal, but you've also got to feel to create. Like we were talking about pleasure there. It's people's expression is the bridge between healing and expansion which is where all the places that they want to go so don't be scared to feel my loves that's all I want to say Tina how can people find out more about you and more about working with you so yeah you can find me on Facebook at Tina Eloise I've also got a group called the Sacred Scream Sisterhood I have monthly events called the sacred screen ceremony where we work through our sacred rage and move it through into pleasure like i spoke about on here so yeah just follow me on there we will drop all your links into the show notes yeah and i've also got like a download that they can have a look around the witch bitch mother sister and whore wounds um and to see how it's showing up in their life and business and stuff so i I might drop that down for them as well amazing this has been fantastic i've loved it thank you so much i could talk to you for hours love (laughs) we'll have to find a reason for you to come back we'll find another conversation brilliant tina thank you thank you for joining me for yet another fierce soul conversation to find out more about me and my work please see the links in the show notes and don't forget to like share and subscribe i look forward to you joining me next time